1: Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Peter Taylor to my Brian Clough. It's Justin Peach.
2: Topical, love it.
1: How's it going, Justin?
2: Very good. I've been out on my bike, been out for a run this weekend, sun's out, can't complain, yeah. playing,
1: can you? It's been lovely, hasn't it? It's been fantastic. Oh, well, uh, it's too good too good to be true um first off elephant in the room yes i am ill no it's not covid but yes i am dying on the show this week we have rich ferraro from the forest ramble podcast rich are you well
3: yes i am very well thank you very much
1: superb also with us is ian robertson from we are Luton town ian how do you do yeah good thank you yeah good Superb. So you are listening to the biggest championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to run through all the weekend's games in the championship, talk about some of the news from the past week, and we'll finish off with Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. But let us start with the East Midlands Derby. Derby County won Nottingham Forest won. A superb equaliser by Colin Casim richards meant the points were shared at Pride Park. As far as derbies go, Rich... This wasn't the fierce contest that we've seen in past seasons, was it? Uh, Probably
3: not, no. I mean, it's all a bit passive and maybe that's what we expect with Chris Houghton being the Forest manager. It was going to be less blood and thunder and more kind of slow and steady wins the race or draws the race as it was in this case.
1: Yeah. Why do you think that was the case? Do you think it was because of a lack of fans?
3: Never helps, does it? Um, You know it's a strange one isn't it we've seen three local derbies since lockdown and uh, they become progressively more flat as we go along but equally I, I, I think that there is something to be said for the fact that Chris Hewton his approach he's very much an evolution not revolution kind of guy as we've discussed many times and so his thing is let's get ourselves set up to do things the right way and then if we need to have a fight then we can we can take it from there. But turns out it wasn't really that much of a fight on on Friday night.
1: No, it wasn't really, was it? Did you think a draw was a fair result?
3: No. (laughs) The best is, I was having a discussion with, um, we did a match report with uh, uh, another Derby podcast and they were saying, well, actually, maybe the score should have been, I don't know, 1.25 to 1 in favour of Forrest. And I was going, well, maybe 1.5 one in favour of Forest. I think Forrest were the better team for the majority of the match. But, um, you know, let's be honest, it wasn't one for the neutral either.
1: Justin, our resident Derby fan, do you agree?
2: Well, just to, just to back up what Rich was saying, I'd rather chew a light bulb than watch that again. It was, <laughs> it was so drab, and the last couple have been really poor. And you can you can feel that not having fans there does impact it because it makes a boring game interesting. You know, we've all been to Derby's where well. it's been nil nil, and it's and then something kicks off, and then and then it raises the temperatures a bit, and you know things get going. But. Yeah, I think Forest probably edged it. I think Derby did have a couple of the better chances, especially in the first half. And I think Knight missed an open goal. You know that goes in. I think it might change the fabric of the game. It, you know, obviously, it didn't. And then I think Forrest grew from there. Really, it was it was it was a, a fairly good performance from Forest. It was just they just needed that second goal. And from a Derby perspective, you can tell why their their record is so bad when coming from behind because they just sank after that goal went in from from Garner.
1: Well, Forrest have only lost two out of their last 15 now, well away from the relegation zone after a dodgy start to the season. What's been the biggest difference for you, Rich, compared to how they were a few months ago?
3: Again, evolution, not revolution. Uh, Chris Hewton has taken a steady approach. I mean, last time I spoke to you, I was quite critical of some of his selection decisions, uh, in in particular persisting with uh, Toby Figueredo at the back and Lewis Graben at the front. Uh, Graben's out at the moment, so Glenn Murray, the old campaigner, is, uh, is playing up front for us. And Figueredo, actually, you know what? I was wrong. Hewton was right. This is why he's paid millions of pounds to be a football manager and I just sit in my bedroom doing podcasts. Um, <laughs> basically, basically, he stuck with him. And he's the kind of player where sticking with him is putting that arm around his shoulder and saying, you know what, Toby, you focus on doing the stuff you do well. And there was a little mishap that led to the Kazim Richards equaliser. But that was hardly a big mistake. You know, a miss kick when you're 25 yards out and then it hits the guy on the chest and then the arm. You know, I'm not... I'm not disputing the decision because, you know, the, the, the VAR handballs even themselves out across the match with the uh, Ribeiro penalty incident. Um, but it wasn't exactly a mistake in the way that Figueredo has done so far this season. It was just an unfortunate moment.
1: Just want to say there is nothing wrong with being sat in your bedroom talking about football. Um, there was an unbelievable game at Kenilworth Road between Luton and Wednesday. Wednesday, 2-0 up at half-time, seemingly cruising, but Luton came back to win 3-2. Ian, you text me saying you would have turned your phone off all day had you not had that turnaround. So thank God it did happen. But what a comeback.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think I said it's probably the worst first half of football I've seen from Luton in, in such a long time. And then... To come out in the second half, just really wasn't expected to put in that kind of performance. I didn't think we were going to be anywhere near the levels that we would have needed to, to pull the game back around again. But once we scored that first goal, the first few minutes, you could just see the impetus and the momentum that we had. Um, we had that grip between our teeth where we were just going to go for it. And it only looked like there was only going to be one winner. Um, but yeah, unbelievable game, really.
1: Yeah, but what what happened? What what was the big difference?
4: I think the problem that's been at the moment, and you've seen we've been up and down, is that we've, we're have we're trying to play chess, essentially. Uh, he's trying to be too tactically astute when um, he knows what works. He's trying to grow the team into an established championship team. Now, in the second half, we reverted back to the, the Dan Formation, which has obviously worked for us for the last few years, has got us promoted. Um and in the end that's what got us the win. But he's he's trying to grow the team, he's trying to find different formations. We're in a good position at the moment where we're twelve points ahead of safety. So he's just tinkering, I think, trying to trying to establish us and grow us a little bit and it's cost us of late. So he's had to revert back. And I think his tactics in the first half were were as a, as a result of that tinkering, really.
1: Yeah well the winner was scored by Elijah Adebayo who also got an assist. Now he's a young lad who joined from Walsall in the January window. Uh, tell us a bit about him, what he's like and how he's done so far at Lutonian.
4: Well he's he's only really played two games. He came on as a sub in in when in, in his first appearance and then He's played two games since, and obviously scored in each of them, and an assist yesterday as well. But I think the most impressive part of his game is, is is how cultured he's been up front, how strong he's been. He looks like a championship player. Um, his timing, his hold-up play is really good. He's he's been working really, really close with um, with Mick Hartford. In in fact, they they worked on that goal in particular the day before in training. Um, so he's been working very hard with him in terms of scoring goals and his movement work. But he's just a breath of fresh air, really. He gives us something different. He's, he's a he's a very much a, um, a McCartford or a Steve Howard type player who, who can net goals and his movement's good, he's strong. Um, so I'm looking forward to what he's going to do towards the end of the season and, and
1: next year. Yeah, well, the result sees Luton climb back into mid-table after a little wobble, left them looking over their shoulder a bit. But for Wednesday, Justin, this was a terrible loss. Really, not only because they were leading, but also because they are desperate for a win, aren't they? This is their fourth straight loss, and if they're going to stay up, then results need to turn around soon, don't they?
2: They do. I think this. I think dropping the two-goal lead and then dropping the points is well, Dropping the two-goal lead is probably more damaging than than dropping points here for for Wednesday because. You look at how experienced the Wednesday team was. Dropping a two-goal lead shouldn't be in that remit for them. It's it shows the the difference in not attitude but quality that's just slowly dropped over the years. Uh, I, I think if Wednesday go in three-nil at half time, I think Windass had a really good chance one-on-one. Uh, if he puts out away, it's two-nil. Then he scores another shortly after. I think if they they go in three-nil, it's, it's a different game. It's a, it's a harder game for Luton to come back into, but. As I say, it's not a good it's not good from a team that is, is heavily experienced to drop a two goal lead like that. That is gonna possibly I'm not gonna say it's gonna resign to, to relegation, but it's a mountain to climb now for them.
1: Well they've got a massive game against Rotherham in, in midweek. That is a gigantic game. <laughs> uh, Rich and Ian, thank you for now. We'll come back to you both a bit later on when we play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. But for now, me and Justin are going on a trip around the grounds and we'll begin at the vitality stadium for the game between Bournemouth and Watford. A bit of a dual game, really, until everyone starts scrapping. Mike Duffy is from the Watford podcast, Voices of the Vic. And, Mike, that all escalated very quickly, didn't it? It
5: certainly did. And people say there's some sort of a rivalry and maybe fans try and sort of forge a bit of a rivalry. But do you know what? These games, because we've been with Bournemouth up and down with them and we've played them so much these sort of last six, seven seasons... Every game has been quite a feisty affair, So it is starting to have a tinge of rivalry uh, within the fixture. So, yeah, nothing less than I expected, to be honest. Just a shame about the result.
1: Yeah, let's talk about the actual game because it was fairly tight and I felt like it could have gone either way. Would you agree?
5: Absolutely. You know, the, the big part of this season for us, unfortunately, is away from home. We just can't get it to kick. You know, obviously, coming into it off the back of four straight wins, um two of them away from home off the top of my head so you know we we don't score many goals away and over the last few years against bournemouth they do apart from the odds couple which have been sort of freak results but they do tend to be draws throughout the sort of competition between us two so i was expecting a tight game more so because we don't tend to score many away but the way we started i thought you know we we come out the blocks real quick and uh, we we should have made them pay for it early doors because that's what's killed us at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, well, this result comes off the back of four straight wins. Uh, Have you seen an obvious improvement on the pitch?
5: Yeah, definitely. You know, this is the formation that we've been screaming out for all season. You know, granted, Vladimir Ivic didn't have the players at his disposal to use this system effectively, but we are starting to see... And I suppose that comes with performances as well. We're starting to see confidence throughout the team much, much higher. We're trying things that we wouldn't usually do. Players are shooting from distance, which is something, you know, if they're full of confidence, they're going to think, I fancy bagging from here. So, you know, we're attacking, we're actually going into games away from home, actually with some attacking intent, which is far from what can be said about us away from home earlier in the season. So,
1: This formation challenge is a godsend. Cheers, Mike. Yeah, fighting aside, Justin, this was a tight game and really a massive result for Bournemouth and Jonathan Woodgate.
2: It was. It was. It it absolutely was. I thought they looked okay. They were well organised and it was a a game they needed to get a result in, really, just to stay afloat. And they were against a Watford team who have looked really, really good, actually, over the last four or five weeks. Really good. And the midfield battle won it for them. I thought Ben Pearson was was superb alongside Lerman, Lewis Lewis Cook pulling the strings. Um, Just just a quick one on on Ben Pearson as well. Bournemouth haven't conceded when he's been on the pitch since he arrived. I think he adds a a disciplined steel to them. And that that organisation in the middle, that middle three, won them the game. It's as easy as that.
1: Well, I was chatting to you just before we came on, and I was saying Ben Pearson, everyone's been hyping over his performance, but I don't think he was particularly any better than he has been for the numerous years that he's been in the Championship now, I thought he was just as good as he ever was. And that is very good. It really surprises me that a Premier League team hasn't taken a punt on him because he's so good. Uh, But other teams are picking up wins at a frightening rate and Bournemouth really needed to turn the corner, didn't they? And this was the perfect way to do it against one of the division's top sides. Uh, But Watford came into this game off the back of four straight wins. And I saw this game... Perhaps they edged it in terms of chances, but it was a massively disappointing goal to concede, wasn't it? One long ball over the top and Bournemouth score from it.
2: Yeah, Backman being done at the near post as well. is It shouldn't have been a goal, really. It just shouldn't have been a goal. Um, you've got to defend better. Keeps got to do better. But Watford have only won one in seven games against teams in the top six, which is quite a worrying trait, especially going into this business. And, you know, you want to, what well, you need to be picking up momentum, but also you need to be picking up results against teams that are in and around you. Just so as the, you know, if you're finishing the playoffs, you're saying to them, we can beat you. But at the moment they haven't done that. And um, as I say, it's a bit of a worrying trait for them. Mm.
1: I saw this game and I think it pretty much summed up why I can't see Watford going up automatically. This season, because if you were a neutral and looked at the table, you'd probably think Watford have got a fairly good chance of finishing in the top two. But I'll be surprised if that happens because, I mean, defensively, they're absolutely fine, one of the best in the division. It's just going forwards where they lack that cutting edge because, uh, well, the cutting edge that the likes of Norwich and Brentford have got. I look at Will Hughes, one of the most talented players in the division, he's been great since coming back from injury. We all know what he can do, but then the rest of the midfield, I'm, I'm looking at them and I'm asking, what are you bringing to the side? Same goes for Ken Seema. He blows hot and cold a lot. Ishmael Assar also blows hot and cold way too much for a player of his ability. And then Jao Pedro's had a good season, but he's a young lad and you can't expect him to play well every game. That's the issue for me, just going forwards, and I think it's going to cost them come the end of the season. Another team fighting for promotion, but seemingly having a bit of a wobble at the moment, is Swansea. They lost 3-1 to Bristol City, but it was their first win with Nigel Pearson in the dugout. Jack Dawson is from the Bristol City podcast BS3 Talk. Jack, you've been on a lot recently, so I think we need to have a break from each other after this, but
6: uh, what a result this was. A great result. It's crazy how much difference a week can make in football, but... We were lucky to go in at half-time level. Swansea had some great opportunities in the first half, but that second-half performance was was brilliant. I think scoring three goals away to a side like Swansea, who was so good at the back, really, was, was testament to how, well we, how good we were going forward. I think Naki Wells, if you get in chances, he'll score goals. I think no-one's doubted that. He just hasn't been getting the chances. I think the move Nigel Pearson made to go to a back four in the second half, putting Zach Viner into midfield really switched the game for us because I think Viner... He's a, he's a terrific player. He can play at the back, he can play in midfield and set up the opening goal. Casey Palmer, we know the quality he's got. And then rounded off at the end by Antoine Semenya, who finally got a championship goal. So, yeah, week, may, week makes a lot of difference. And, we, yeah, we were very good in that second half yesterday.
1: Yeah, we haven't actually spoken, Jack, since Nigel Pearson was appointed. What's been your reaction to the
6: news? I think the whole Bristol City fan base are behind this appointment because it's the first time in a long time that, when in need, the club have gone and appointed an experienced, proven championship manager. And that's what Nigel Pearson is. I even think he could have got a Premier League job given how well he did at Watford the end of the last season. But taking to him already to be honest, I think his interviews last week when he got appointed were just brilliant. Saying that it's about time the word potential stopped getting used around Ashton Gate and we started living it and actually acting upon it, which is what well, what he's in place. And it's a six-month deal, but given what he said in his interviews, it seems like that is it, it's very likely that'll get extended should things go, should things go swimmingly. So I'm very excited about it. He's It seems like the club in the world has been a great place to get promoted. We have the stadium, have the playing squad, have the training ground now. It's just been about appointing that manager. And I think Nigel Pearson is that man over the moon with the appointment. Yeah, we were
1: saying Dean Holden never got the backing of the Bristol City boards. But with Nigel Pearson, even though he's only been given a deal till the end of the season, do you feel like the Bristol City board have already given more commitments to him than they have Holden?
6: The Dean Holden appointment to me was very much a Mark Ashen decision, who's our CEO. Not the most popular fellow at all, but I think Steve Lansdowne, our owner, has very much taken the club a scruff of the neck in the last few weeks. He's gone on you know, he's done a few interviews of talk sport, which isn't really like him. You know, he usually just lets, you know, his son John Lansdowne and Mark Ashton just get on with the running of the club. It seems on day-to-day basis, but he seems fed up with the way the club were going, and he's gone and appointed a, a top-quality manager in Nigel Pearson. And it's very promising given the way Nigel Pearson spoke his interview last week. It seems that, in all likelihood, it will get extended the contract into next season. He seems very happy that there's a project going on, and he seems he seems to really be want to be a part of that. And it's credit to the board, credit to Steve Lansdowne for getting it to happen so quickly because. I think it was last Sunday, Nigel Pearson woke up make, making bacon sandwiches and then by the evening he was Bristol City manager. It wasn't confirmed by the club, but it seemed to be all agreed by that point. So, yeah, credit to the way the club have done it so quickly. It's very much a contrast to the six weeks it took to appoint Holden, but couldn't be happy with the outcome.
1: Thanks, Jack. Yeah, Bristol City, only the second team to beat Swansea at home this season. Kieran on Twitter said Bristol City have been transformed. Do you agree with Kieran, Justin? Bristol City have been transformed?
2: I wouldn't say transformed, but I think Pearson's come in and I think he's just give, put a rod up their asses. essentially. Mm. Simple as that. He's the type of manager that can do that. He's the type of manager that can bring the best out of players, um, especially in the short term. Did it at Watford. You look at, I think they beat Liverpool in their first few games under Pearson. Um, so you, you can tell that he's a manager that can that can get that out of them. They were quite fortunate in this game. I know we'll, we'll allude to it with Swiss Swansea, but... Just what a what a turnaround! That, that's essentially it. What a turnaround for Bristol City! And they've had a bit of luck that they've needed. You know, they've this pretty much scored with their first three shots in the week, um, and it was almost the same again today, uh, yesterday against Swansea. So yeah, I wouldn't say transformed, but they needed these wins, and they can't take it away from them. I think, in
1: fairness, they couldn't have been any worse than they were just before Pearson no. couldn't, because they were absolutely terrible. But to win two games in a row is a fantastic turnaround. Uh, Casey Palmer had an eventful game against his old club, gave away a penalty and scored directly from a corner. Not bad going that. The real question is, Justin, how the hell did Swansea lose this?
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm i almost lost for words. It's, it is incredible. There, there was one phase of play where I think the ball was clear off the line twice. They had eight shots on target. Dan Bentley made six saves. Yeah, and the only goal they scored was from the spot as well, which is even more astounding. It was just ridiculous. I don't, I don't understand how, how they came away with just just one goal. It, it could have easily been 6-3. It was one of those games. It was, it was just a strange one.
1: Yeah, Noobs called it the Dan Bentley show, which is a, yeah. a fairly accurate description. Truan called it shithousering, which is also very accurate. Swansea have conceded seven in the past week. Before that, they had only let in 15 all season, which is not bad going. I don't like talking about results and not giving the winning team any credit, but Bristol City had the chances and they took them. Mm -hmm. But I'd say at least 80% of this result was down to Swansea's own doing. Firstly, not taking the chances that were put towards them. And secondly, Freddie Woodman had a bit of a mare for the last two goals, didn't he? It was really sloppy on their behalf. Swansea are sat in fourth, four points behind Brentford in second, but with two games in hand. Rotherham have lost their last five games after losing 1-0 to Reading. They're five points from safety with two games in hand on the teams above them. Not looking good. Matt Lax from the Rotherham United podcast. Matt, how's the game?
7: Very, very, very tough game yesterday. Um, the levels weren't there. It's two games in a row now where the performances have been below par. And I've lost to Forest in midweek as well. This one was probably worse. Uh, we could, literally couldn't string two or three passes together at times. Uh, like it, At times it looked like a team who hadn't played together ever. Um, we had a slight issue to start at what, 10 50 minutes in where Clark Robertson seems to have done his hamstring, so we had to change formation, but even before that we just didn't look good enough. Uh, we missed some good chances, the irony is we missed some good chances, so we, realistically we should have got something out of the game. But it didn't, as strange as it sounds, it never felt like we were ever going to get anything out of the game. It was a really, really disappointing performance. Uh, and if that's a sign of things to come, then we are going to be in trouble.
1: Yeah, we've been saying regularly on the show recently that rather the despite results not going their way, are actually playing quite well. But it is five straight losses. You've not scored in your last four games. And something needs to change soon, doesn't it?
7: Yeah, for the first first few games of this five game loss run, we played all right. Cardiff played pretty well, Bournemouth played pretty well, and Norwich, we pushed Norwich very, very close. But like I said, the goals didn't come. Um, before that run, Cooksey and Smith looked unstoppable together. They've dropped off a bit. I think teams have wis- must have wisened up a little bit. Um, and the sticking, Reading yesterday at times had two to three men marking at Michael Smith. Which is fine, because then it should open up other areas of the pitch where there should be space for other people, but that hasn't happened; hasn't been happening. Um, There's people questioning Warnie, uh, people asking for him to go, which I, th- I think is stupid, <laughs> especially at this stage of the season. But people are right to question the tactics yesterday, he went 4-4-2 with one winger. We were playing with one winger and three central midfielders in a four across midfield. The balance was completely off, which meant, you know, that, that affects everything else. Um, the goal is a massive, massive worry. Uh, hopefully Smith and Crooksy can get back on it and hopefully somebody else can help them out as well.
1: Yeah, well, you've dropped back into the relegation zone. If you had to give a percentage chance of Rotherham staying up this season, Matt, what would you say?
7: Games in hand are a help. Uh, two games in hand, whereas previously they were um, sort of helpful games in hand, they are now vital. Um, it's, it is, for me, it's on a knife edge. Uh, if we can turn performances back around to where they were Will be fine because those performances were were at times fantastic and the goals come through those performances. If they stay as they were yesterday and against Tuesday, on Tuesday against Forest, then I can't see us stopping up. So it is a 950, 50% chance of us staying up and going down, I think, at the minute.
1: Cheers, Matt. Yeah, we're starting to sound a bit like a broken record here, Justin, but it's another good Rotherham performance, but they've lost
2: again. It's, it's, it's a strange one. I think the run of defeats that they've had, they've they've gone from performing pretty good to almost sort of leveling out as pretty average, which is which is a, a massive shame because um, I don't think they were as good in this game as they were in in previous games. And I've said in the past, Robin for me one, are one of the better teams in the bottom six. But what they've struggled to do in the last sort of five, six, seven games is they struggled to keep clean sheets. We've seen with Derby and Forest that the better defensively you are the more likely you are to rise up the table because you're avoiding defeat, essentially. Um, but it's, you know, it's five defeats on the bounce and it's no goals in four games. That's the, that's the worrying thing for me, is they're not, scoring. they're not putting their chances away. They're not scoring goals.
1: Yeah, but they are getting chances, aren't they? And it goes without saying that you've got to be putting them away. But I think the fact that they are creating chances is encouraging. If they weren't creating anything, then I'd be worried. Uh, that mm. game in midweek that they've got against Wednesday. Gigantic. Uh, what do you think of the game from a Reading perspective?
2: It it was a it felt like a must-win game for both sides, considering Rotherham's form and Reading's form and potential to slip out of the playoffs because they've been in the playoffs all season pretty much, with other than a couple of weeks. So it felt like that sort of game where both teams were a little bit edgy. It was a bit tight, but Rotherham, uh, sorry, Reading had the better chances. Um, I think you're yeah, looking at Lucas Shaw, for example, he's one of the most more ruthless strikers in the league. He's gone from being one of the more ruthless strikers in the league to being quite wasteful. Um, I've got no doubt that once he starts scoring in, games like this won't be as tight because he'll put away... I mean, he had four shots, none of them were on target, which is just sort of summing up their form at the moment. I mean, they were bailed out by Morrison. So I can see them improving after this because this was a much better performance than it has been in the last couple of weeks.
1: Well, you say that, I I don't think it was a particularly convincing performance by Reading. I've got to say, I know Matt just now wasn't very happy with the performance from a Rotherham perspective, but I thought they were better than Reading. Right now, I I look at the table and I think Reading will drop out the top six the way things are going. I really do. Um, About a month ago, they were looking like the real deal, playing well, results going their way. But a few things have changed since then. The main thing is they've been second best in the majority of games this month. And it's a really bad time for that to happen, particularly with Barnsley and Cardiff in such good form. And I think they desperately need Lucas Shaw to get back to his best because he's been really poor in these last three games, as you were just saying. The next two games are against teams in terrible form. And if they don't win both of them, I think they're in trouble. One team in trouble at the wrong end of the table is Huddersfield, who got thumped 3-0 by Preston four losses in their last five games now but Preston weren't in great form either so it's a much needed win for them Jimmy Atkinson is from the Preston podcast from the Finney Jimmy a fairly comfortable win in the end
0: Yeah good game yesterday uh, good game for both teams in the first half I thought Huddersfield oh, started really brightly should have had a penalty then they've brought a good, good save out of Daniel Iverson our keeper and then we've stepped it up a little bit um, a bit fortuitous with the goal uh, Brad Potts Powerful effort, it's just gone under Sar's feet on the line. But then second half, we've really stepped it up. Um, probably our best half of football all season. Some good goals, some really well-worked patterns of play. And I think as soon as the team comes on to Preston, then that's when we're at our best because we're great in transition. And you can see that with the third goal. Um, it's three passes and it's in the back of the net. Two um, to the outside of the right foot as well, which was really good to see. So... Yeah, just a really positive display, and probably just rewards really because we haven't played badly in these last six games, but we've just not got the results.
1: Yeah, Brad Potts was the real star of the show for Preston. He seems like quite a frustrating player because every so often he'll have an absolute stormer, but then go missing for the other games. Is that the case?
0: Yeah, he's a bit of an enigma to be honest with you, Ryan. He's for me, he's better away from home when there's a bit more space, and his his work rate's fantastic. You know, there was a point yesterday when he's lost the ball on the edge of Huddersfield's 18-yard box and they've counter us and he's chased it back and he's ended up tackling the lad pretty much on our 18-yard box. So, yeah, I, I like Bad Potts. I think he's got incredible work rate. He's got a good range of passing. He's quite, I think he's our second top goal scorer now after yesterday. So I think that shows what sort of player he is. He's best in the 10 role and I think he's only played a handful of games this season as a 10 because we've got good options in terms of Alan Brown, Daniel Johnson, Jason Molumby. So, yeah, it was good to see him have a great game yesterday and long hope it continues.
1: Yeah, the other player who stood out for me was Chad Evans. Now, I've seen him a few times since he signed in January and he holds up the ball well but seems to lack that goal-scoring instinct but played very well yesterday. Um Do you think he's the long term answer to Preston's striker problems? he had a really strong game again yesterday. The
0: Chad Evans linked up really well with Lars Scott Sinclair, Brad Potts, uh, and Anthony Gordon. You know, his pass to the outside of the boot to put Barky through for the third goal was was class. I think what with Chad Evans, because he had that time out of the game. He's actually playing like a younger player than what he is because when he first signed, I thought, we signed a 32-year-old League One journeyman. You know, he'd had a good goal-scoring record with Fleetwood, but he's playing like a 28-29-year-old in terms of his work rate and that means we're getting a player that's coming into the peak of his career for a forward. And, yeah, he's had a couple of chances in front of goal. The, the one that stands out would be the, the Watford game It nil-nil. He missed a header against QPR midweek, but took his chance really well yesterday. And I just hope that he builds on these partnerships that he's building around him and yeah hopefully we'll extend his contract because it runs out the end of the season obviously he's only signed a short-term deal so we'll wait and see on that front but positive signs are there definitely
1: thanks jimmy yes fairly straightforward win for alex neil's boys in the end but for huddersfield justin core where do we start
2: (sighs) did the defending it's as simple as that.
1: Yeah, I, I think the defending is where we will have to start really because they're so bad at the back, aren't they? <laughs> So bad. I think defensively, they're the worst team in the division. And I know Wickham have conceded more than them, but the standard of the goals Huddersfield concede is almost comical at times. I mean, they're just so open. So, so open. And they just seem to have lost all sense of how to stop goals recently. A lot of the goals they let in come from their own doing as well. They're very fortunate that the teams below them have completely lost their form because otherwise they'd be in massive, massive trouble. And I still think they're very much in trouble um, because while the other teams have lost form quite recently, Huddersfield have been consistently out of form from now, since the turn of the year, really. They picked up that win against Swansea in last, uh, last week, but it's become immediately apparent that was just a freak result. They're seven points above the relegation zone. But I'll be surprised if that points cushion isn't smaller this time next month.
2: They, it feels like uh, it looks like they feel sorry for themselves. Uh, looking at the Chad Evan Chad Evan's goal in particular, I mean, him scoring is enough to get you down anyway because he's not prolific by any means at this level. No. But at that point, he puts a ball in the net. Keo's waving his arms as he does when something bad goes or something bad happens. Schofield in goal, he's literally flat out star and Saar is face down in the ground. It's it's you know, now now's the time to step up. You know, have some balls about you. It. It's it's not it's not good enough for a team that has experience and isn't playing very well at all. It's it's just not good enough.
1: Yeah, well Keo and Saar, they're two fairly experienced defenders at this level really, aren't they? Yeah. But- You wouldn't have guessed it, by the way, that they're playing recently. Right, Justin, let's have a break. After that, we'll talk about wins for Norwich, Brentford, and a draw between Middlesbrough and Cardiff. i tell you what, there's nothing I love more than a classic football shirt. I've got loads of them. A Juventus shirt, Marseille shirt, even an Antalya Sport shirt. One of the reasons I've got so many is because I can get them for a great price from ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk. They've got shirts for teams from all over the globe, and that, of course, includes championship clubs. So if you wanted a Classic Wednesday shirt, Reading shirt or Barnsley shirt, whoever you support, they'll have something for your club. It's not just shirts either. They've also got track suits, baseball caps, socks, so much stuff. Have a look for yourself. Go to ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk right now. Welcome back to the Second Tier podcast on Sunday afternoon. Norwich beats Wickham 2-0, thanks to goals from Timu Puki and Adam Eder. Uh, a game where both teams, I think, can come out fairly happy with how it went, strangely enough. Norwich should have scored more. Wickham will be fairly happy with the showing they gave. What do you think, Justin?
2: Considering the, the difference in the sides and the, the ability on, on show, yeah, you, I think you're spot on. You know, I think Wickham only had one shot on target, which on paper is not that good. But they're not a team that are threatening going forward all the time. But they had opportunities. They got the ball in the box. They play their way. They want to play. They didn't have much of the ball, but again, they're a team that doesn't want to have the ball too much. And I'm not going to say because they kept the score down um, that's the reason why they should be happy. But they could have had a couple of a couple of well, not, maybe not a couple of goals, but a goaler and a half maybe if that's a thing um, and obviously Norwich were, were kept um, it was it was 1-0 up until the final 10 minutes which Wickham stayed in the game for that long is a positive and again positive for Norwich they got the win got the clean sheet
1: I was impressed with Uchi Ikpiazu again for Wickham I think just his hold up play is superb he's he needs to work on his goal scoring. I mean he's not getting any chances in this Wickham side as it is but I, I really do think if Wickham are to go down this season then he will provide a fantastic option off the bench for someone in the championship and maybe even as a someone to pair up front with another striker in the championship, if you know what I mean, based on what I've seen from him this season anyway. Uh, but Norwich, the partnership between Pookie and brendia again, blossoming, fantastic to see. And the moment, Justin, it looks like Norwich are running away with the title quite comfortably, aren't they?
2: They are. And I, I expected it. I didn't really doubt them. You had your doubts. Mm. I'm quite happy that I've stuck by them. Okay, they concede chances, but any team that plays open and fluid, as Norwich do, it's going to happen. It's something that they would have to work on when they get to the Premier League because we saw last season they conceded a lot of goals because there are teams that are going to punish them, whereas this in the Championship, that might not happen. But you've got to be happy with them. They dominated the ball. You know, I've made 530 passes in this game, which... It's always gonna happen, but when you consider how bad the pitches are and Wickham aren't isn't that good, they've got players who can just play and that's that's at this level it's it's really good to watch.
1: I think as well, the points gap they've got now, you're looking at a Brentford, Watford or Swansea, one of them is gonna to have to pretty much win just about every game for the rest of the season now. I think for Norwich not to win the league unless oh, yeah. Norwich absolutely falls to pieces. But that's not really happened all season, has it? They've barely had... I I can't remember a bad spell they've had, really. They've had maybe one spell in January where I think they failed to win in three games and that's just about it. They've consistently picked up results. And I don't think they've particularly hit top gear many times this season. They've just consistently ticked over and it's working at the end you only have to look at the table to see that uh, Brentford came from behind to beat Stoke 2-1 Brentford conceded in the first minute after a mistake by David Raya, and he's made a few mistakes recently that have led to goals do you think something to be concerned about
2: he takes risks he takes a lot of risks and we saw with the Borough game you know, we were saying Borough could have that game could have been 4-4 because um, he made save after save after save and that's what you've got to look at I think I don't think you've got to take him out of the team I think upset, upsetting a, a settled defence like that and he's part of a very strong spine is, isn't is going to be isn't going to work for you in the long term I just think you've got to especially in the first minute maybe not take that, that sort of risk um, but I certainly think taking him out of the team's not the answer just a, just a, a, a good talking to maybe I don't know
1: he definitely makes up for it, doesn't he? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. in terms of the all-round goalkeeping, he is a superb player. Maybe he has to improve on crosses, but otherwise he is one of the best keepers in the championship, if not the best. Hayden on Twitter said Brentford were outstanding. Vitaly Yanel scored a peach of a goal. My Lord, you don't out with the ball any better than that. Justin Tony scored the winner. You'll be surprised to hear. 25 goals now. This season, and we've still got, what, a third of the season left to go. Uh, I tell you what, it surprises me that he isn't in the conversation for the England squad. And I know what you're thinking. I'm not saying you should be going to the Euros. I'm aware that there are a line of strikers who more are more worthy of a place than him. It's not the same as when we were talking about Calvin Phillips being in the England squad last season, because... There was only Declan Rice really, who was the other holding midfielder who really come to mind. But I think Tony should at least be in the conversation because as a championship striker, what more could he do to warrant a place? And there's been a lot of talk about Bamford and Watkins going to the Euros this summer. Tony's already scored twice as well, nearly twice as many goals as Bamford did last season in the championship. He's already scored as many as Watkins when who was in virtually the same team as him. And just picture this for a second, Justin. England, goal down in the dying minutes of a game. Who better to bring on than someone as deadly in the box as Ivan Tony? It's just a thought. Uh, but yeah, Brantford seemingly over the blip now and sat in seconds. I think Stoke can take encouragement from the performance, Justin. They gave one of the top sides in the division a jolly good game and had a few decent chances, didn't they?
2: A jolly good game. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean after two seasons of, of relative dross you'd say I don't think it's the end of the world to be coming away from this game feeling quite disappointed that you didn't get a result um, because the performance probably warranted something coming away from it but it's just building on that 1-0 lead we've said it time after time after time that having not having a, an out-and-out striker who's prolific is going to hold you back when you're trying to get into the playoffs Stokes sort of fall into that category especially with the absence of of Campbell and without an adequate backup for Fletcher. Um, The only thing you'd say is two wins in the last 10 probably isn't good enough for a team that has spent a lot over the last three years and I know Michael O'Neill didn't spend a lot transfer-wise well fee-wise in the summer but the likes of Mikel, Chester, Fletcher, Fox. um, Fox, Yeah these are going to be on fair amount fairly good wages so they're still going to have a big wage bill so they're that's the only disappointing thing for me, is where do they build from here? Do they because it's an aging squad as well? It's it's an interesting, an interesting summer ahead, I think for Stoke.
1: Yeah, I feel like if Stoke are going to get in the playoffs, then they're going to have to pull some sort of winning streak out of the bag from somewhere because mm. right now they're being outpaced quite frankly aren't they by the other sides chasing the playoffs two of the teams chasing the top six are Middlesbrough and Cardiff they drew one all at the Riverside Stadium Warnock versus McCarthy the irresistible force meets the immovable objects uh, which one would you rather go for a drink with Justin
2: that's a really hard question I'd edge toward McCarthy
1: which one would you prefer to have as your girlfriend's dad
2: oh again really hard one Neil Warnock scares me I'd I'd go towards McCarthy, but I think he had a good banter.
1: And which one do you think would give the best hug?
2: I feel like Warnock.
1: Yeah. I imagine he's quite a huggable guy. Mm. Shall we just leave that game there and move on? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mm. Yeah, let's not. We'll get angry DMs if we do that. Uh, Cardiff and set-piece goals, Justin. The greatest love story ever told. They've scored 21 this season. That's more than double 19 of the other teams in the Championship. it's It's it's, scary it's just astonishing Uh, it was scored by sean morrison and i'm quite disappointed we missed this in midweek justin sean morrison scored in midweek and celebrated by humping the floor now when he scored on saturday he celebrated again by humping the floor i need answers i need to know what that's all about uh borough fan bailey on twitter said the performance was dogged dave called it head tennis uh but Neil Warnock said after the game that he felt they deserved more and he's not wrong is he really because again I don't want to sound like a broken record but and taking chances has been a massive issue all season
2: just makes you want to punch yourself in the face doesn't it every time (laughs) a chance comes by and it goes begging and you're just like what is this it is deja vu they limited Cardiff to two chances which considering the talent Cardiff have got and how good they've been um, that's that's, that's very good and a goal came from a long throw in so you'd be really disappointed to not come away with three points as a Borough fan. And as I say, you're tearing your hair out week after week after week. But, but one positive is I think Warnock will get that sorted because he's very good at addressing issues in squads.
1: Yeah, it's, it's the missing piece of a puzzle, isn't it? Uh, it is. A, a striker who can score I, I, just 15 goals a season. We're not asking for like 25 goals, just 15 goals would be, which <laughs> would be fantastic, quite frankly. Uh, the form team. In the Championship, Barnsley continue to look unstoppable. They beat Millwall 2-1. If there's one negative I can say about Barnsley, Justin, it's they should really be making these games more comfortable for themselves. This game they dominated, but won by one goal. Bristol City last week, they absolutely smashed, but won by one goal. And I think that's the only negative I can pick out about Barnsley right now. And it's quite a positive negative as well, because right now between them and Norwich, there is not a team I'd want to face less than Valerie and Ishmael's boys.
2: It's funny you bring up Norwich actually, because that's that's the fifteenth league win under Ishmael, and only Norwich have won more in the division since Ishmael took over. Wow! Yeah, which is yeah, wow. Um, it's a fifth league win in the row. It's the first time they've done that since 2016. Another positive is Corley Woodrow's hit ten plus league goals in in his third consecutive season. Which again, why is nobody picked him up? It's it's again it's just, it's strange one. But it was a positive day for Barnsley. They they, they beat a team in good form in Millwall, which for me not only shows that Barnsley have got the momentum, but they're beating sides that are in form. They're developing a little bit of a backbone, which you need especially going into the playoffs. Do
1: you want to know something terrifying, Justin? Go on then. And this is awful news for the teams chasing the playoffs. Barnsley's fixtures in March are very kind. They've got Bournemouth But then their other five games are against sides 17th or lower. Five games all against teams 17th or lower. And they've got a game in hand on the teams around them. I mean, wow. Millwall cruelly denied a draw in this game. They've got to keep the faith, though. It's a setback for them getting the draw record of 22 in a season, but they're only six off. Keep going, Gary Rowett. But just seriously for a sec, Gary Rowett decided to go without a striker in this game. What did you make of that?
2: I think that tells you exactly where or what Gary Rower thinks of his strikers. Yeah. Bud Varson, Matt Smith, Tom Bradshaw, am I missing anyone? Kenneth kind of Sahoor? There's they're not,
1: they've got a few, haven't they? And none yeah. of them are in form. You'd have thought at least out of all the strikers they've had this season, Troy Powerett they had earlier in the season as well, at least one of them would be able to find the back of the net fairly regularly, but it's just not happened, has it?
2: i mean i listed five strikers there which that's probably one of the most in the league that's a lot of strikers and for a team that don't have a, a big budget there's a lot of your budget on a, on a, an area in your squad that isn't performing that's um that, that money could be put elsewhere I and mean, we well, could be higher at the table it's very frustrating that, that yeah that that again something that's holding them back.
1: Oh, yeah, massively. Scoring goals has been a massive issue for them all season. Uh, Birmingham got a gigantic three points at home to QPR. They won 2-1. Thoughts on the game, Justin?
2: There's a lot of positives. It's, It's three important points. It's a home win, which are very, very hard to come by for Birmingham City of late. Um, and they came from behind as well and it's on the back of a good performance in the week against Norwich and a win last weekend against Wednesday. The only really negative is is the goal they conceded was, was really poor and that's that's a bad um, habit they've picked up is just leaving players unmarked in the box but the two late goals, it is, it's a really good turnaround and they've come up against a team um, in QPR that have only lost once in the last 10 games they're creating more chances there's a lot of positives here for Birmingham City have they turned a the corner probably too early to tell but the upturn in performances is is the very start the very foundation they needed they're creating chances etc it's it's really important for them to to build on this if they don't it's not good but as I say they're getting points on the board
1: I completely agree. It's very encouraging from a Birmingham perspective. The discombobulated one said it was an improved performance for Blues. Alan Hilalovic got the winner. Lovely goal as well. Obviously, he's ex-Barcelona, so when he was signed, there was quite a bit of attention, but we've barely seen him this season. I'm going to assume it's something to do with match fitness, but having said that, he has been there for a few months now. I'd like to see more of him because Birmingham really struggled to create chances and he adds a bit of creativity, a bit of flair, but... Not sure I took a rank, we'll see it that way. Uh, This result (laughs) opens up a five-point gap between Birmingham and the bottom three. But, of course, they've all got games in hands. Final game of the weekend was Blackburn 1, Coventry 1. Blackburn's first point in six games. A very tight game, could have gone either way. But considering the circumstances, I think both managers would have been fairly content with a point. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. A bit of a quiet week, actually. Not much going on at all, Justin. (laughs) Fans will be allowed back in stadiums on May the 17th. It's after the government revealed its roadmap out of lockdown. From a championship perspective, the season will be over by the 17th. But the playoff final is a couple of weeks afterwards. And the EFL says it'll be working to welcome as many fans as possible to the playoff finals. Imagine you've not seen a game in over a year. And then the first game back is the playoff final it'll be superb i'm not sure how many fans will be letting because social distancing doesn't end for another month by that point but if so many people have been vaccinated i don't know Uh, nigel pearson has been appointed bristol city manager until the end of the season we spoke about this at length in thursday's episode so you can get our full thoughts on it there interestingly he said that he wants the job passed this season
2: justin what are your thoughts on that I wouldn't be surprised, you know, everybody wants to be employed. Um, but <laughs> <Good point. laughs> um but from Bristol City's perspective, it's probably it'll probably make it probably be better for them to make that long term appointment, that commitment to Pearson because what they haven't had in over five years is a fresh pair of eyes, he brings that and he fights wolves as well. So mm-hmm. it's a good it's a good appointment. Do, yeah. Commit to it.
1: According to The Athletic, Paul Cook is about to become the new manager at Ipswich. Obviously, that's League One news, but I included it anyway because Paul Cook is immediately the favourite for every vacant job in the Championship. I will say it surprises me that no one's given him a job yet.
2: He will get Ipswich promoted this season. I, I can almost... Actually, no, I'm not going to say I can always guarantee it. Uh, I'll be jumping again. But yeah, I, I'm committed to him. I like him a lot. Contrast to this time last year where I was giving him a bit of stick, but he's he's proved me wrong. He's a good manager at this level and he'll prove that with Ipswich.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Yaya Sonogo has joined Huddersfield, the ex-Arsenal striker, has been a free agent since being released by Toulouse last summer. Uh, you look a bit surprised, Justin, did you not know about this? <laughs>
2: No, where did this come from? <laughs>
1: what? <laughs> uh, he got three goals in 15 games in the French League last season. So, I mean, Huddersfield need some extra firepower, don't they? Not sure if it's going to come from him. Colin Kazim-Richards has been given another year at Derby. His deal's been extended to the end of next season. Justin, you've just given me a chef's
2: kiss. Tell me more. I just love the guy. There's nothing, not, there's nothing you can't hate about him. He's he's proved everybody wrong, including me. I am sure we can clip back to when he first signed and me going, "Oh God, no!" It's uh, just it's it's just a good player. and At thirty four years old, he plays like he's twenty five. He's played every game and almost every minute. If I am I am twenty seven, I am knackered after fifty minutes. I am not an athlete by any means, but I am a lot a lot younger than him. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I love him. I think every Derby fan does. He's, he's a good he's a good guy as well. And uh, there's is rumours of him having a coaching position at the end of his contract as well, which tells you how much the staff rate him as well at Derby.
1: I think that the standout thing for me has been how much of a leader he is in the dressing mm-hmm. room. It's so obvious when you're on the pitch because he he's, what he's, well, he's the most experienced head apart from maybe David Marshall on the pitch. And he really takes that out onto the pitch and gives the younger players around him the likes of Jason Knight and what have you. And really... Um, Gets them going, it's fantastic to see. He has surprised me so much this season, and as you were saying, I, I could not echo your thoughts more, Justin. A uh, former Scotland international and Harry Radnap's old assistant, Joe Jordan, has been brought in as first team coach at Bournemouth. Gary O'Neill has also joined. Justin, have you not been keeping track of the news this week? No, no, no. I
2: okay. think this is great because the fact that Joe Jordan is a man who's well renowned for fighting Gennaro Gattuso, <laughs> that's exactly what I mean. He's clearly paying dividends after what happened in yesterday's game, so more of it.
1: Fight club, baby. And finally, finally, has Derby's takeover been complete yet? As it heck, no. Has it heck. Right, it's time for the polls. This is the part of the show where we ask you three questions on Twitter that we want to get your thoughts on. Firstly, what is the biggest Derby outside of the Premier League I asked this on Twitter earlier in the week but now I've put it to a poll to see what everyone thinks the options were the Bristol Derby between City and Rovers Cardiff slash Swansea the South Wales Derby the East Midlands Derby between Derby and Forest, and the East Anglian Derby or what's it also called the Old old farm Derby fall. yeah that, that, I hate that so much uh, between Ipswich and Norwich which one are you saying Justin?
2: I'm going to say Derby and Forest.
1: I think it's Derby and Forest, personally. Uh, Cardiff and Swansea close second. In fairness, Uh, Mm. forty-four percent said Derby and Forest, thirty-nine percent said Cardiff and Swansea, ten percent said Bristol City and Rovers, and seven percent said Ipswich and Norwich. I tell you what, East Anglian Derby gets a bad rap because they're so far apart, but those two genuinely hate each other. Norfolk and Suffolk, having lived in both, is it's very tribal when in that part of the world. Uh, not really, because they're both very rural parts of the count of the uh, country compared to the rest of the country. So it, it is like that. It is just two tribes, kind of really. Um, who's the biggest shit house in the championship? Emmy Brendia, Jefferson Lerma, Ben Pearson, or Brees Samba? Uh, which one do you say, Justin?
2: Brie Samba would be a close second, but given the fact that Lerma did three roly-poly's after being clipped by Pedro yesterday, it was incredible. <laughs> so I've got to go with Jefferson Lerma.
1: I think I've got to go Pearson, just because he's the shithouse, Pirlo. <laughs> 36% said Pearson, 30% said Lerma, 21% said Brie Samba, who in fairness is a massive shithouse. And uh, Emmy Brandio got 13%. Other shouts were Will Volks, yep, fair enough. Hmm. Uh, Troy Deeney, another good shout as well. Yeah. And uh, who else? Nick Powell. Nick Powell's another shout as well. All fantastic shouts, people. And finally, do you enjoy watching rugby? Yes or no?
2: I've not watched a game of rugby in about ten years. I uh, so no.
1: I don't think it helps. I don't understand it, I've gotta say. sixty-seven uh, percent said no, thirty-three percent said yes. Right, now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. So this is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Ian Robertson from We Are Luton In Town and Rich Ferraro from the Forest Ramble. So I'm going to ask the gents here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I would say name the eight clubs in League One who have been in the Premier League and Justin would say Portsmouth, that's one down, and Rich would say Wigan, that's another down. But if Ian would say Burton, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, gents, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. So, of course, we've got a Derby fan, Forest fan, and a Luton fan on the pod. Can you think of a player who has played for all three clubs,
2: Justin? No, no. Uh yes, I can. Go on. Tomins.
1: There you go. Tommins, absolutely spot on. So before moving to Luton, Tommins had made a league appearance for eight different clubs. Can you name them? So that's before moving to Luton, so we're not counting Luton. So we shall start off uh, with Ian. Ian, can you name a club Tom Ince has made an appearance for? Blackpool. Absolutely spot on. His famous spell at Blackpool, which led him being linked with Inter Milan. Uh, Justin, we'll go to you next. North County. Yes, he had a loan spell there 10 years ago. Uh, Rich, it's your go. Uh
3: Crystal Palace.
1: Yeah, had a short loan spell there in 2014. You're flying, boys. Uh, Ian, your go. Stoke. Stoke, yeah. His parent club, who he joined for £10 million in 2018, which sounds like a disastrous signing in hindsight, really. Uh, Justin, your go. All City. Yeah, moved there permanently from Blackpool after holding talks with Monaco and Inter Milan, which I always find quite funny how... He was holding. He could have had the chance to go to Monaco or Milan, and he ended up in Hull. Um, you've got three left. I feel like you're going to piss this. Quite frankly, uh, Richard, sure go again.
3: Nottingham Forest.
1: Yeah, short loan spell. Man of the match. <laughs> <laughs> he played six games in 2014. Um, Ian, it's sure go again. You've got two left.
4: Huddersfield Town.
1: Yeah, here we go. Went for eight million pounds in 2017. That means we've got one left, Justin.
2: As Rich will definitely agree with me, it's best till last at Starby County.
1: There you go. Moved there for £5 million in 2015 and scored double figures in each season at the club. Wow. I did not expect you to sail through that as easily as you did. Well done, boys. I'm very impressed. Rich, how was that? I was really, this is
3: the bit of the podcast I was really worried about.
1: <laughs> oh, you, you, you had nothing to worry about in the end. That was uh, fairly comfortable, really. Uh, Ian, you were telling me just before you came on how you did quite terribly uh, last time you were on Sam and Grace and Tate for late, but do you feel like you've made up for it? Well,
4: I think I was lucky. The answers that I knew. That
1: they them guys didn't get them and they went with the other ones really <laughs> <laughs> definitely yeah well said well boys thank you for your time today this has been the second tier podcast this has been the weekend edition of the second tier podcast we'll of course be back again on Thursday for all the midweek games in the championship so Rich Ferraro from the Forest Ramble thank you for your time today thank you very much Ian Robertson from We Are Luton Town thank you for your time today cheers have a good week This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks.
2: I've been Justin Peach.
1: Thank you for listening.